Welcome to Born to be Breastfed with your host, Marie Biancuso. Our program aims to help you bust through the breastfeeding myths and ensure you and your baby enjoy the breastfeeding journey. Over the next hour, we'll help you figure out how to overcome the obstacles you might encounter and how to incorporate breastfeeding into your busy life. Now, here is your host, Marie Biancuso. Hi, everyone. I'm Marie Biancuto. I'm your host for Born to be Breastfed, where every week we bust the myths and clarify the facts about breastfeeding and beyond. And today, we definitely are going beyond because we're going to be talking about soy supplementation, which, at least in my experience, having been a nurse for many years in a hospital, I have often seen that breastfed babies, if they are supplemented, somebody thinks that giving them soy formula is a great idea. And I'm guessing that my guest, who is Dr. Heather Pattisall, is probably going to disagree. I'd like to introduce you to Dr. Heather Pattisall. She is a professor of biological sciences, and she's also a researcher at the Center for Health, excuse me, Human Health and the Environment at North Carolina State University. Her lab explores the mechanisms by which the endocrine-disrupting compounds that is the EDCs, alter the pathways in the brain related to these sex-specific physiologies and behavior. Now, much of Dr. Pattisall's work has focused on phytoestrogens, flame retardants, and bisphenol A. You probably know that as BPA. We had a big flap about that a while ago with the plastics. Uh, She has participated on several national and international expert panels and workshops related to the health effects associated with soy and other endocrine disruptors. She's the author of Endocrine Disruptors, Brain and Behavior, published by Oxford, 2017. Dr. Pattisall, welcome to the show. Thank you so much. It's a pleasure to be here. Well, this is an area where I really feel like I don't know as much as I need to know. I have to tell you that when I was writing my first book, which was published in 1998, I was sort of like aware of this business with soy as a supplement to breastfed babies. And then I read up on it a little bit. I didn't really understand much about plant estrogens. And for those of you who might not be aware, phytoestrogens, that is The phyto part simply means plant. So it's just a big word for plant estrogens. Um, And it just seemed to me like, this this doesn't feel good to me. But in those days, we didn't have a whole lot of research. And so I know that you have spent pretty much your career working on this. So tell us, do we have any realistic statistics on how many infants are exposed to soy? Sure. Yes, we absolutely do. Um, And I want to point out that, you know, soy infant formula was created because soy is a nutritionally complete food, which means it has all of the amino acids in it necessary to support life. And it's not a religiously or culturally objectionable food. Yep. Right. So it's distributed a lot through USAID and other groups, which is probably why you see it so often in hospitals, because there's not a concern there that you're going to have a new mother who might have a religious or cultural objection to, to 
you know, to cow's milk or something, right? Well, some um, people just don't want to give their baby animal-based products. That's right. That's yeah. right. So that's yeah. partly why it was created and partly why it's popular. Mm. But its popularity is decreasing. So you mentioned your book in 1999. Um, since that time, the use of soy formula in the U.S. has dropped by about half. So only about 12% of babies now um, are fed soy formula in the U.S. That's only a little bit higher than what we see in European and other markets where use of soy formula is restricted. So in that Mm -hmm. case, you're talking about less than 10% of infants. So you're right. There has been a big shift by parents and other groups in their thinking about the use of soy formula. And as such, its use has declined. Tell us a little bit about the levels of phytoestrogens. Again, in my early reading, and honestly, I just don't spend a whole lot of time reading about formula. I'm a breastfeeding person, so, you know, I I was just shocked by the idea of how much of these uh, phytoestrogens were, in fact, in the formula. So, Tell us a little bit about how the phytoestrogens in soy-based formula compare to that which would be in cow's milk or the mother's own milk. Uh, what's the level of phytoestrogens found in soy-based formula? Any of that that you want to address? Yeah, that's that's a great question. So <clears throat> I want to first explain why these phytoestrogens are in soy to begin with. Okay. Um, and that's because soy is a legume. And legumes, yeah, they're a fancy kind of plant because they're nitrogen fixing. And the way that they do that is they have these little nodules that support these bacteria that help them fix the nitrogen for them and keep the plant healthy. And the phytoestrogens are the molecules that the plant uses to communicate with these bacteria so that they can do nitrogen fixation. So this is a, they're completely natural and these compounds are, are made by plants. They're very structurally similar to estrogen, so they can fool the body um, and act just the way that estrogen would in the body. So how much is found in the formula sort of varies because it depends on when the soy was harvested and where it was taken and that sort of thing. But to give you a kind of range, okay, so adults on a vegetarian soy-based diet get roughly a milligram of soy phytoestrogens per kilogram of body weight, okay? Got it, okay. So an infant on soy formula, and partly is the exposure is higher, partly because their diet is entirely soy and partly because they're physically smaller. So infants are consuming anywhere in the range of 4 to 11 milligrams per kilogram. So anywhere from 4 to 11 times more than an adult on a vegetarian diet. And so that's partly where the concern is coming from is because exposure to the infant is much, much higher. Yes, and I'm thinking that for the baby, well, certainly in some cases it's a supplement, but for other babies, it is their sole source of nutrition. Whereas with an adult, presumably they would be having soy and brown rice and whatever else they're eating, right? That is right. That is correct. And I... I think it's important to point out that in adult women, um, because these compounds are so effectively estrogenic, there have been instances where women 
have eaten enough soy, they begin to consume so much soy on the diet that they stop cycling, they lose their menstrual cycle. Mm -hmm. And then they come into the clinic and they do a dietary analysis. And once they go off of the soy or they cut down the amount of soy that they're eating, they'll resume cycling. So these compounds are pretty powerful and you can eat enough of it to affect your own biology. To me, that's proof positive. That tells me that when it's enough to have a woman stop cycling, this is a very active compound or compounds. So tell me this, uh, what's the primary phytoestrogen in soy? And and do we have human studies on the effect of that primary uh, phytoestrogen? What do we know here? So that's a good question. So it's always a mixture. People are always going to be exposed to a mixture unless you specifically go to a supplement store and purchase, you know, one phytoestrogen all by itself. Um, So the ones that people might have heard of is genistein. Um, The other one is daidzein. And then to some degree, there's some glycetine in there as well. And so they, phytoestrogens are classified partly based on their structure and also on their biology. And so the ones that are most estrogenic fall into a group called isoflavones. So genistein, daisyan, or isoflavones. Okay, now you're talking about language I understand. Okay, good. (laughs) Okay. So many times, though, what I wonder, and it so happens that I just took a picture of a baby not very long ago here where the baby was born with this sort of enlarged, right breast. And we're talking about a baby here. I did not go into all this bit with the mother to see if she'd eaten a lot of soy during her pregnancy or whatever, but I have to admit, I that crosses my mind. So my question for you is, these plant estrogens are indeed very potent uh, human endocrine disruptors. So Presuming that they're binding to the estrogen receptors, which I guess they would be, right? It, would the effect be as bad in a boy baby or a girl baby or the same or different? How would that work? Oh, that's a great question. And there's there's a slew of new research that's come out in the last few years to try to address that. So okay. when you talk about babies being born with slightly enlarged breasts, a lot of times that's because of the estrogen exposure that they've had in utero from their mother. So the mom will be making estrogen. It does cross the placenta. It does get to the fetus. And so that estrogen can act on cells that are estrogen sensitive in that fetus and cause usually temporary effects like that enlarged breast that you talked about. And by the Um, way, before I get ahead of myself, let me just say that I've seen that many, many times with many babies that have slight enlargement, but this was really quite dramatic. mm -hmm. Uh, But anyway, continue. So um, some of the studies that have been done in infant um, children have looked at these estrogen-sensitive tissues. So the, the breast would be one, and then the other one is the lining of the of the vagina. So the inside of the vagina is very sensitive to estrogen and it can, um, shows it, it looks different. The cells look different when they've been exposed to estrogen. So there was a study that came out, um, in 2018. It was one of the first to look at infant boys from the university of Pennsylvania. And so what they found is that infant girls that were on soy formula had this abnormal sort of, um, cell, cell type in their vaginas that indicated that they'd been exposed to estrogen. So showing that soy formula can be estrogenic. 
they did not see any evidence of that breast enlargement in either the boys or the girls. Hmm. The other thing they saw in the girls is that oftentimes when baby girls are born, their uterus is a little bit enlarged because of that fetal exposure to mom's estrogen. And then that enlargement decreases um, over time. And the girls on soy formula, they saw that it took much longer for the uterus to decrease in size. So again, it's another... Um, piece of evidence that soy can be estrogenic in these kids. So it's unclear what the long-term impacts of this would be on either boys or girls on their fertility. There was a 2015 study that found no evidence that reproductive organs were enlarged in five-year-olds who'd been exposed at earlier ages. But the thing that me and others are concerned about is that soy might have some sort of reprogramming effect. And so even though the organ is no longer enlarged, it's been reprogrammed in such a way that, that we have some concern about reproductive effects later in life. And that's a lot more difficult to tease out in humans. Absolutely. Uh, That's kind of scary because that tells me, And we had Dr. Jennifer Thomas come on last year, and she talked about the epigenetics and so forth. And she said, just remember, it's not just what you see at the moment when the baby is a baby, but it can be later in life. It can even be at the next generation. And I'm thinking, oh, brother. So I'm a little worried when you say that this can have some sort of, uh, what, what was your word when you said it reinvents itself or something like that? Oh, for reprogramming. Reprogramming, yeah. Yeah, Uh, yeah, that's pretty scary. And when we come back after the break, I would like to pursue this a little bit more and ask you about what we know about teenagers who have been exposed. And I don't know if there's any research on that, but it does make me worry just uh, from the standpoint of seeing so many of these kids get it. Really, because by now those kids are teenagers or greater. So, hey, everybody, don't go away. We'll be right back after this short break. Become our friend on Facebook. Post your thoughts about our shows and network on our timeline. Visit Facebook.com forward slash Voice America. Was your breastfeeding experience stressful or challenging? Did you face an unusual obstacle and go on to meet your goals? If so, we'd like to hear from you, and so would other mothers. Email radio at borntobebreastfed.com to see if you can be Marie's next guest. Relationship issues? Anxious? Parenting challenges? No more. Learn how to live your best life. Tune into Straight Talk with top psychotherapist, relationship, and anxiety expert, Sandra Reich. In this program, you'll learn how to transform your challenges into effective solutions, whether it's relationships, parenting, anxiety issues, or other life traps that you struggle with. Sandra will show you how to change them and how to live the life of your dreams. Listen every Thursday afternoon at 6 p.m. Eastern Time and 3 p.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America Health and Wellness Channel. 
Do you need breastfeeding training for your hospital staff? Maybe you need to offer all 15 sessions to meet the baby-friendly requirements. Or perhaps you need just a few sessions. Check out Marie's new course, Best Practices for Breastfeeding Management. It's perfect for improving your exclusive breastfeeding rates and helping staff earn contact hours. You know Marie will focus on the clinical outcomes, not just the training process. Marie's course offers the ultimate in flexibility and convenience. It's online 24-7 so staff can study at their own pace. You can use the course for all of your staff or just your newly hired staff. And Marie offers a tracking report so you can tell who has started or finished. Best of all, staff can print out their own certificate when they finish. Don't waste another minute trying to develop your own course. Trust America's leading breastfeeding educator to provide staff training that works. Call Marie today at 703-787-9894. 703-787-9894. And ask for your bulk discount. Have you friended us on Facebook yet? Why not? Just go to Facebook.com forward slash Voice America or search for the keywords Voice America. Once you are part of our Facebook network, you'll receive daily messages about what's happening with our shows, this week's featured guests, and new happenings at the Voice America Talk Radio Network. And you can add your voice to the always active discussions on our timeline. Just go to Facebook.com forward slash Voice America or search for Voice America. You're listening to Born to be Breastfed. To reach Marie Biancuso or her guest on today's program, please call 1-866-472-5792. That's 1-866-472-5792. You may also send an email to radio at borntobebreastfed.com. Now, back to the show. Hi, everyone. I'm Marie Biancuso. I'm with Born to be Breastfed, and I have with me today Dr. Heather Patasol. Dr. Patasol, before we went to break, we were talking about the sort of the early effects of soy on the baby and baby girls and baby boys and so forth. And I just want to remind parents that, remember, when you see some of these estrogen effects, it's not necessarily bad. It's not necessarily anything that you ate. It's not necessarily that you ate soy. So much of this babies just have some hormones on board, as I like to tell parents. And so you shouldn't worry about that too much. However, what we're really focused on here today is actually giving the baby the soy formula. And so we left off by talking about these early effects, but what do we know about the later effects? For example, again, I go back to these kids that I've seen over the years, and now it feels to me like we've got an awful lot of young girls starting their periods at eight years old. I had a guest a couple of weeks ago who talked about a girl that she knew who had started her period at six years old, and I'm thinking, this is so not normal. Has Can we find any relationship between these early onsets of periods and or fertility late in life? Yeah, there's certainly a lot of interest in exploring those relationships. And so we don't have a lot of definitive human data linking soy formula with early puberty. Um, There's a lot of people interested in endocrine disrupting compounds in general in early puberty. And the animal data from my lab and a lot of other different labs certainly indicates the potential for these estrogenic chemicals, particularly when exposure occurs early in life to advance puberty. But the human data is not definitive. Okay. 
Well, another thing that we've heard a lot about, I, I'm really trying to put a number on this. I want to say five, seven years ago, something like that, everybody got all excited about bisphenol A, that is BPA. I've gotten to the point now where when I teach in my comprehensive lactation course to aspiring lactation consultants, I tell them, I don't know what to say because it feels like some people are really in a rip about this. Other people think it's not very important. So can you talk to us a a little bit about BPA, which is found in plastic? As I understand it, and please correct me if I'm wrong, but as I understand it, BPA is an endocrine disruptor. So first of all, what are those effects? And secondly, how does that compare to soy? Yeah, great question. So we've studied that chemical extensively, um, as well as soy. We have many publications on it. Um, And so when we think about what an endocrine disruptor is, it's basically a chemical that disrupts how hormones work. And there's a lot of ways that endocrine disruptors can do that. So soy phytoestrogens bind to the estrogen receptor and essentially fool the body, and they act like an estrogen mimic. It was thought that BPA was acting very similarly, but BPA does not bind very well to estrogen receptors. It binds Ah. 10,000 times less strongly than soy phytoestrogens do. So it's not very good at binding to estrogen receptors and fooling the body. So when we think about endocrine disrupting chemicals, you know, people tend to sort of get worried if the source is man-made plastic or something like that. And we worry a little bit less if it's made by nature. Um, But the biology doesn't match up with that viewpoint. So we have to think about it a little more constructively. Um, Work by my lab and others has shown that BPA can have epigenetic effects, which you touched on before. It can also change how much estrogen receptor is there. And so it makes tissues more sensitive to estrogen already in the body. So BPA is a compound we still worry about. But for people who are concerned about BPA... They should think about soy in a kind of similar way because it's a hormonally active food. It's a food that can change the way that hormones function in your body. Wow, that would sure give me pause. Tell me, too, then, about soy protein as related to the body's uptake of iodine. Oh, okay. So we've known for a long time, centuries, actually, Um, that one of the ways that soy can be endocrine disrupting is it can alter the body's ability to make um, thyroid hormone. And Mm -hmm. thyroid hormone is absolutely critical for brain development and growth during um, fetal life um, and early infancy. And it's also really important for maintaining metabolism and things like that as we get older. And iodine is required to make thyroid hormone. So soy interferes with iodine uptake and therefore, it can decrease thyroid hormone levels. Um, this has been known for a really long time. So iodine is added to soy milk and soy formula and other soy foods to try to compensate for that. But this is an aside for people who um, might be hypothyroid or on thyroid medication, that soy can interfere with thyroid hormone production. Wow. Okay. So I think you're saying that there that if the baby is taking in the soy formula, there is an impact on his thyroid thyroid uptake, right? Well, there can be, but iodine is added to soy formula. And there was a lot of work done in the 50s and 60s to address this, um, to to ensure that the thyroid hormone levels stay normal. 
Okay. And I should I should add to this discussion that for women that are vegetarian or do happen to eat a lot of soy, um, they're probably thinking, well, Asian women have been doing this for a long time and they're right. fine. So I don't <laughs> yeah. understand. Yeah. So soy phytoestrogens, these isoflavones that we're talking about, actually do not cross the placenta very well. So for wow. a woman who's vegetarian or on a soy diet, during pregnancy, her baby is actually getting a very low exposure during gestation. And then in traditional Asian countries um, or people that breastfeed, so we're talking about breastfeeding, um, the isoflavones do not get into breast milk very well either. Um, so exposure is a little bit higher in gestation, and in breast milk, they're not there. So the difference between you know somebody who has a really soy-rich diet and is breastfeeding um, and then someone who puts their kid on soy infant formula is pretty massive for that infant. Um, so for, for women that are vegetarian and are eating a lot of soy, um, particular during the breastfeeding phase, um, you can relax. It doesn't get into breast milk very well. There will okay. be some crossing of the placenta, but it's it's pretty, pretty low. Um, so you might want to decrease intake during, you know, gestation, but during breastfeeding, it's less of a concern. So I think I've been preaching for about 40 years now that a breastfeeding mother's diet may be self-selected. I tell people, eat what you want. There's really no rules to this. And it sounds like I don't need to modify that as related to the soy. That's right. Okay. All right. So I want to talk a little bit more about soy as what I think some people, some adults now, that some adults perceive soy as a health food and so you've talked about soy as a legume and we know that other legumes are things like peanuts or chickpeas or that sort of thing so I guess my question here is do you think that people equate that then I know I'm asking you to talk about perception and you're a biologist but anyway (laughs) do you think that people perceive that as well this must be healthy for my baby if it's soy-based formula or do you think it's more cultural and religious in in nature i think it's a mix of all of that Mm, um you know the the whole soy craze got started because incidents of breast cancer prostate cancer and some other diseases were lower in countries that were traditionally consuming a soy-rich diet and so there was kind of this early enthusiasm that this type of diet might be healthy. Um, And a lot of studies have been done since regarding that and pretty much debunked those linkages to some degree, particularly for benefits for menopausal women. So there was this hope that a soy-rich diet would alleviate some of the menopausal symptoms. And that has just not held up to scrutiny. Um, There was a two-year long um, clinical trial that was completed back in 2011 or 2010 um, that absolutely found nothing, right? So some of the health effects of soy have been overblown. And then some other work has shown that what's, what's where you really see the benefits is for individuals that start replacing some of their meat meals with a plant-based meal. And so many of the benefits come from dropping meat consumption. If you've replaced right. like your greasy, right. nasty hamburger right. with <laughs> vegetarian, you know, dinner, you're going to see some health benefits, particularly for the cardiovascular effects. So I'll well, see that so, makes a lot of sense. Yeah. So I think as part of a, a, a an overall healthy diet, soy can be good for a lot of people. 
um, we just have to think about soy like we think about coffee or alcohol or other foods that have secondary effects, right? You wouldn't, right. hopefully right. you would not put coffee in your, you know, six month old's baby bottle. Um, but no, we're not going to panic and just, and describe coffee as a, an unhealthy food, right? It just depends right. on age of exposure and health of the individual when you consume the food. And so I kind of put soy in that same bin with, you know, during these sensitive windows where our bodies are super sensitive to hormones, and that's prenatally, just after birth, around the time of puberty, um, and, you know, as one, we're trying to become pregnant, that would be the time to be really concerned. But in other periods of time, soy might be a very healthy choice for an individual that, you know, is, is maybe overweight and consuming too much fat and needs to make a dietary change. Yeah, and I really like what you said, because I've always sort of suspected this, that sometimes it's not the substance that you're eating so much as the fact that it, when you're eating it, you've given up to something else. Uh, right. And and I think that was really to your point there. Uh, we've only got, oh, we got less than a minute. Oh, we got less than a minute. Gee. All right. So... <laughs> I'm just going to tempt everybody to come back in the next break because I want to talk a little bit more about soy and its effects and soy as being much more than just food. And I know that people that listen to this show have heard me say that breastfeeding is food, but it's more than food. And I'm suspecting that Dr. Patasol is going to tell us about soy as being more than just food. Hey, everybody, don't go away. We'll be right back after this short break. Become our friend on Facebook. Post your thoughts about our shows and network on our timeline. Visit Facebook.com forward slash Voice America. Was your breastfeeding experience stressful or challenging? Did you face an unusual obstacle and go on to meet your goals? If so, we'd like to hear from you, and so would other mothers. Email radio at borntobebreastfed.com to see if you can be Marie's next guest. Relationship issues? Anxious? Parenting challenges? No more. Learn how to live your best life. Tune into Straight Talk with top psychotherapist, relationship, and anxiety expert, Sandra Reich. In this program, you'll learn how to transform your challenges into effective solutions, whether it's relationships, parenting, anxiety issues, or other life traps that you struggle with. Sandra will show you how to change them and how to live the life of your dreams. Listen every Thursday afternoon at 6 p.m. Eastern Time and 3 p.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America Health and Wellness Channel. Do you need breastfeeding training for your hospital staff? Maybe you need to offer all 15 sessions to meet the baby-friendly requirements. Or perhaps you need just a few sessions. Check out Marie's new course, Best Practices for Breastfeeding Management. It's perfect for improving your exclusive breastfeeding rates and helping staff earn contact hours. You know Marie will focus on the clinical outcomes, not just the training process. Marie's course offers the ultimate in flexibility and convenience. It's online 24-7 so staff can study at their own pace. You can use the course for all of your staff or just your newly hired staff. And Marie offers a tracking report. 
so you can tell who has started or finished. Best of all, staff can print out their own certificate when they finish. Don't waste another minute trying to develop your own course. Trust America's leading breastfeeding educator to provide staff training that works. Call Marie today at 703-787-9894. 703-787-9894. And ask for your bulk discount. Have you friended us on Facebook yet? Why not? Just go to Facebook.com forward slash Voice America or search for the keywords Voice America. Once you are part of our Facebook network, you'll receive daily messages about what's happening with our shows, this week's featured guests, and new happenings at the Voice America Talk Radio Network. And you can add your voice to the always active discussions on our timeline. Just go to Facebook.com forward slash Voice America or search for Voice America. You're listening to Born to be Breastfed. To reach Marie Biancuso or her guest on today's program, please call 1-866-472-5792. That's 1-866-472-5792. You may also send an email to radio at borntobebreastfed.com. Now, back to the show. Hi, everyone. I'm Marie Biancuto. I'm your host for Born to be Breastfed. I'm here today with Dr. Heather Patasol, who is the assistant professor uh, at the Department of Biology at North Carolina State University. Dr. Patasol, we were talking earlier, and I've got this a little bit out of order, but I still want to come back to it. I want to know, it seems to me that we have a fair amount of women who have uterine fibroids. And I, and I have absolutely taken care of those women. I know they're out there. I don't really know my statistics. I just know from clinical experience, it seems like we've got a lot of that. So is there any relationship between the ingestion of soy products and uterine fibroids or heavy bleeding or any such similar problems? So actually there is. Um, The the most classic study was done in 2001 um, and they used a cohort from the University of Iowa And this study is incredibly important because they absolutely know for sure that these infants got soy formula because they got it at the time that we were developing soy formula and trying to make sure that it was healthy and supplemented with enough iodine, et cetera. So their cohort for sure got the soy formula when they were younger. Um, Other studies have to use recall. And, uh, you know, as you know, that can be problematic. Uh, Yeah. 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 Um, And so they were the first to find a link between taking soy formula when you're an infant and having a higher risk of what they called menstrual discomfort or more likely to see your physician with, with menstrual related problems in these women when they became older. Yes. They also found a higher rate of allergy um, within those girls. And that's not surprising. Soy can cause, some people can be allergic to soy. It's in the legume family like peanuts. Yep. Yep. Um, there was another really high impact study that came out in 2016 by a group of researchers at NIH, and they looked at um, bleeding problems in African-American women. And that study is notable because not a lot of people have put some effort into looking at soy in African-American women. So this is an underexplored Mm. population. Um, Again, this is a recall study, but they did find an association between use of soy formula when these women were younger and much more heavy bleeding and problematic bleeding um, when these women were older. And this is important because it goes back to that point I made earlier um, about how soy formula is used in in these nutrition programs. So more than 60% of all soy formula in the U.S. is distributed through the WIC program. Oh, so right. 
right? Yeah. So mm. that's it. So so those types of cohorts are going to be interesting to follow and study as they get older. I don't know if you know this, but I was just listening to you, and I was thinking that for as long as I can remember, babies have been given soy formula. Do you know when it first came on the market? Um, I don't know the exact date, but by the 1960s and 70s is when it really first started showing up um, widespread. Okay, because truly, I just don't ever remember a time when kids didn't get it. I'm probably showing my age here, but yeah. Um, So let's talk a little bit about this whole idea because parents think about breast milk as just food. And of course, we all know that it has all of these other wonderful qualities, but soy formula they think about as being just food. You, of course, see it as a hormonally active substance. Uh, So I want to talk a little bit about where the USDA fits into this uh, Anything other than WIC? Yeah, so USAID uses this stuff, um, and the and the USDA knows that people are concerned about this. Uh-huh. So they maintain a list, a database of phytoestrogen or isoflavone content in food. So if you want to know if your kid's soy formula has isoflavones in it, you can find out. It's it's called the USDA database for the isoflavone content of selected foods. Um, so if, if you Google USDA and isoflavone, you'll probably find it. Um, okay. And so it can be a handy list if you're curious to know where this stuff is found. But you got to take the numbers with a grain of salt because <laughs> remember I explained earlier that the amount of isoflavones in soy is going to vary from batch to batch and year to year. Right. So I would just sort of take it as like an average level, okay. knowing levels could go up or down. Whoa. Um I guess I'm going back in my head to, again, remembering that the first time that I read about this was in the mid to late 90s. And I remember a rather riveting statistic given by Dr. Setchell and his team. And they've done, as I'm sure you know, many, many studies as related to babies getting soy formula. And they said that in early life, it may be sufficient to exert biological effects, whereas the contribution of isoflavones from breast milk and cow milk is negligible. And I think that you've really helped us to see that in in the earlier remarks that you've made. And then you've told us, yeah, if you want to know more about this, um, go to the USDA database related to flavone, uh, isoflavone, excuse me. Um, so anyway, help me with this too, because Chen and Rogan did a review of the literature in 2004. When I was prepping for this show, I looked and looked and looked, and I could not find anything thereafter that talked about, well, there are certainly studies, but I was looking for a review of the literature any later than 2004. It seemed to me, as I read it, that the study was inconclusive about the dangers of soy formula. I listened to you, and I'm thinking, boy, I would be really wary here. So, am I missing anything? Is there an an exhaustive review since then? And do you agree with what those researchers found? If not, why not? Well, that's a great question. So that review was in 2004. So we've yep. had 14 years to add yep. data. Yep. And they're right. I mean, they, there was not much literature to review. A lot of it was animal-based data, and we didn't have a lot of quality human data. So it can be difficult to come to conclusions when you don't have enough data. Right. Um, <laughs> the National Toxicology Program, 
which is a program that's housed here in North Carolina in affiliation with um, the National Institute of Environmental Health Science, which is a branch of NIH. They did a, a formal review in 20, 2009, and so okay. they concluded that there was minimal concern. So they have different levels of concern. Um, so this would be sort of on that low end of concern. Okay. But they cited a critical lack of data. And because of that, they started several in-house projects at NIEHS to try and collect data. And we already talked about one of those studies. That was that study on African-American women. Um, they've got other studies ongoing to try to find evidence of effects um, in infant baby girls and boys. And they put out a lot of funding to try to support research to address you know, this data gap. And I think the time is ripe for one of those um, critical reviews to be done again. And so I think you're correct in that it's time for those of us that work in this research area to sit down and do another really comprehensive, thorough review on the topic because we've got so much new data coming in now. Wow. Here's another thing that bothers me a lot. I know with absolute certainty because I have this article in my, well, used to be in my hard copy file. Now I have it as a, as a digital copy of the American Academy of Pediatrics. They published a statement in 1998 that said that the use of soy formula, well, I'll give you a quote. They said, according to the data now available, understanding now that published in 1998, according to the data now available, isolated soy protein-based formula has no advantage over cow milk-based formula for supplementing the diet of a breastfed infant. Okay, so it seems to me, what's bothersome to me about this is that when breastfed kids are supplemented, People just think, oh, well, well, we'll just give the baby some soy, as though that were, well, since it's not cow milk, it must be okay, kind of thing. So, do you have any insight into why we keep, I I know that hospital is like not necessarily your wheelhouse, but do you have any insight in, as to why these doctors continue to do this, even though the AAP has made it real clear that there's no advantage? Well, I mean, again, since I'm not a clinician, um, I, you know, I can't speak to that spe- specifically, but I, I think the, the, the concern here is that we don't want to demonize women who can't breastfeed oh, for whatever reason. Gotcha, gotcha, gotcha. Um, yep. And, you know, I think that's important to be sensitive to those issues. Um, I think that a lot of people assume that their baby is lactose intolerant when they're really not. Oh, you know, when they're really not. Your baby might be really fussy. And, Absolutely, yeah. And so I think a lot of moms are concluding that they have a lactose intolerant infant when Absolutely. they really actually don't. I um, agree, totally. And again, you know, soy is not going to be culturally objectionable. So if you don't, if you have, a, if you have a patient where you don't really know, or, you know, are they, are they ethnically vegetarian or things like that? Giving cow milk could be really problematic. And so giving soy milk sort of alleviates that concern. But I would agree with you that there needs to be a better dialogue, perhaps, between clinicians and patients and nurses and other healthcare groups to make sure that we're not just blanket giving soy in circumstances where it might be more advantageous to use cow milk. And just having a conversation with a patient or a patient's family might help make everybody make more informed choices. In the rare cases where infants truly are lactose intolerant, there are amino acid-based formulas and other kinds of formulas that can be used um, that do not have isoflavones in them. So 
since yeah. 1998, we've come up with better alternatives and 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 more data. So yes, yes. Well, s- suddenly the light has gone on for me. I know that you must have said this cultural thing at least three times earlier on the show, but I am seeing from the standpoint of having worked in hospitals, I know that very often we kind of have this least common denominator, this kind of default. Thing. And I, I can see where, okay, so let's not figure it out, really. Let's just uh, give the baby the order for the soy-based formula. Then we don't have to worry about if the parents are this or that or believe this or that. And so it, it kind of, I can see where it might have come about as a simplification of what to order. But for those of you who are listening, especially if you are having a baby who is breastfed, you've made that commitment to breastfeeding. I think it's hugely important to, as Dr. Patasol said, to have the conversation and just say, look, you know, I don't really understand why you've ordered soy-based formula for my baby. Help me to understand this. And maybe just opening up that conversation could be a huge game changer in my mind. Uh, That's just one old nurse with an opinion. But anyway, uh, folks, don't go away. We'll be right back after this short break. Become our friend on Facebook. Post your thoughts about our shows and network on our timeline. Visit Facebook.com forward slash Voice America. What's the weirdest place I've ever done it? Probably at my niece's high school musical during intermission. I've done it on an airplane. In our minivan while his mother was driving. Hi, Mom. What's the weirdest place I've ever pumped? Probably the car dealership. In the bathroom at my sister's wedding. Finding a good place to pump can be hard. Donating breast milk is easy. No matter where you've pumped, you'd make a good donor to the Mother's Milk Bank at Austin. Learn how your milk can save lives at milkbank.org slash donor. Relationship issues? Anxious? Parenting challenges? No more. Learn how to live your best life. Tune into Straight Talk with top psychotherapist, relationship, and anxiety expert, Sandra Reich. In this program, you'll learn how to transform your challenges into effective solutions, whether it's relationships, parenting, anxiety issues, or other life traps that you struggle with. Sandra will show you how to change them and how to live the life of your dreams. Listen every Thursday afternoon at 6 p.m. Eastern Time and 3 p.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America Health and Wellness Channel. Do you need breastfeeding training for your hospital staff? Maybe you need to offer all 15 sessions to meet the baby-friendly requirements. Or perhaps you need just a few sessions. Check out Marie's new course, Best Practices for Breastfeeding Management. It's perfect for improving your exclusive breastfeeding rates and helping staff earn contact hours. You know Marie will focus on the clinical outcomes, not just the training process. Marie's course offers the ultimate in flexibility and convenience. It's online 24-7 so staff can study at their own pace. You can use the course for all of your staff or just your newly hired staff. And Marie offers a tracking report so you can tell who has started or finished. Best of all, staff can print out their own certificate when they finish. Don't waste another minute trying to develop your own course. Trust America's leading breastfeeding educator to provide staff training that works. Call Marie today at 703-787-9894. 703-787-9894. And ask for your bulk discount. 
Have you friended us on Facebook yet? Why not? Just go to Facebook.com forward slash Voice America or search for the keywords Voice America. Once you are part of our Facebook network, you'll receive daily messages about what's happening with our shows, this week's featured guests, and new happenings at the Voice America Talk Radio Network. And you can add your voice to the always active discussions on our timeline. Just go to Facebook.com forward slash Voice America or search for Voice America. You're listening to Born to be Breastfed. To reach Marie Biancuso or her guest on today's program, please call 1-866-472-5792. That's 1-866-472-5792. You may also send an email to radio at borntobebreastfed.com. Now, back to the show. Hi, everyone. I'm Marie Biancuto. I'm your host for Born to be Breastfed. I'm here today with Dr. Heather Patasol, and she has significantly enlightened us about soy, isoflavones, BPA, and all sorts of things. So if you didn't join us earlier, now's your time to hit the rewind button because she's got a lot of important things to say. Dr. Patasol, I would assume that because you've said a few times in this show something like we don't have human data on this, but we have some animal studies on this. Now, I have to tell you that as a clinical nurse, when I look at animal data, I'm like, yeah, yeah, yeah. When when it gets up to the human level, I'll be interested. But the truth is, I know that there are things that we can glean from animal studies that, yeah, maybe we're, we certainly can't say, oh, well, if it's true with an animal, then it must be true with a human. I don't think we can necessarily say that. But what do we know about soy from the animal standpoint that we need to keep our eyeballs opened for when it comes on to the, the human scene for research? Yeah, I'm glad you asked that question because animal data can be incredibly valuable for looking at mechanism and then also looking at linkages between exposure and outcome when those outcomes come vastly later in life. So when we're thinking about, okay, does soy formula cause risk of breast cancer? In a human, you'd have to wait 50, 60, 70 years to be able to address that question. It's just not feasible. Um, But we can do a lot of these things in animal models. And so what the animal data, it's kind of informs then the types of human studies we need to do. And what the animal data has shown is the potency of these estrogenic compounds in the body. So it was the animal data that first revealed that you could get these estrogenic effects in the female reproductive tract, like the vagina and the uterus. Um, Our work has shown that you can get estrogenic effects in brain and you can change the wiring of the brain which is obviously difficult to look at in in humans and kids. Um, We've shown that a lot of the pathways in the brain that are male or female specific can be altered by early life exposure to soy and soy isoflavones. And it can affect reproductive and other types of behaviors that become important later in life. Um, Other laboratories have looked at male effects, like effects on future risk of prostate cancer and those kinds of things. And so that data can be really important for developing um, the human studies and and sort of framing the question and provide additional evidence for um, the linkages between exposure and and outcome. And And the data on the animal side is pretty robust at this point. Ooh. You mentioned breast cancer. Is there any relationship between the ingestion of soy 
and the development of cancer, breast cancer in this generation or in the next? Yeah, so that is a really hot topic. Um, oh. And the answer is it depends on the on the, the group that you're studying. So there's been a lot of um, human data on this. And so the studies that show that soy might be beneficial and might actually lower the risk of breast cancer almost all come out of Asian populations. Wow. If okay. you look at non-Asian populations at U.S. and other Caucasian groups, the results are either inconclusive or, or opposite. And so when we think about that, um, that can seem a little bit perplexing. However, um, how soy is metabolized is really important. So your body may not metabolize soy the same way that an Asian woman does. And so we know that there are key metabolites from soy food that Asian women are more likely to be able to make than Caucasian women can. And so those sort of ethnic differences in metabolism may be impacting risk. So for 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 um, non-Asian women, it does not look like soy is protective for breast cancer. Um, because we know that soy and other estrogenic chemicals can cause this reprogramming that we talked about earlier, yes. there was some thought that maybe early life exposure could alter risk. There was some hope that maybe early life exposure could decrease risk. But the jury is way, 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 way out on that question. And that's going to be one of those difficult ones to do in humans because that latency of time is so long. But there's a lot of um, animal and other type of work going on to try to address that. So I would say the jury's still out. For women that are facing breast cancer, again, it's a hormonally active food. So it is going to interfere with the medications that they take for breast cancer. And it's something that doctors want to be aware of if, if women are on a vegetarian or on a soy diet. Okay, here's another question. When you wake up in the morning and decide what to take for lunch, um, do you worry too much about whether you're eating soy, not eating soy? How does this work in your own life? So for me personally, um, I I actually do eat soy in my diet. (laughs) Okay. Um, I do drink soy milk from time to time. Um, But I am not pregnant or lactating. So uh, when, I, when I was pregnant and doing this research, I was very conscientious. And I, I, was, I cut my soy intake during my pregnancy. Um, and then I, I was a good, faithful breastfeeder. Um, and when I did have to supplement, did not choose soy formula. And most of the women that I work with and work in this field make very similar choices. Because, again, okay. I think about it like I do coffee or alcohol or sugary sodas or any of those kinds of things. And that, you know, cutting cutting exposure during critical periods, right, is going to be the right thing to do. And when you get older, which I have done, and you're not <laughs> in a critical period so much anymore, um, you know, I, I definitely consume these foods with a lot less immediate pressing worry. Okay, so before we leave the show today, I'd be interested. Uh, what Do we have enough data to tell parents about soy formula? I'm not talking about the mother ingesting uh you know, soy in her diet, but rather about soy formula. Do we have enough data to tell the parents don't do it or is that too strong? I mean, I would, I would say there's no advantage to giving your child soy formula. There's no nutritional Mm -hmm. advantage. There's, there's no advantage. Um, There is significant concern that there might be a disadvantage. Um, And that's all those hormonal effects that we talked about. 
So mm-hmm. parents are just going to have to make a choice um, and decide for them personally, particularly if they're choosing soy because they're vegan or vegetarian or have some other reason to object to cow milk. They're going to have to weigh those disadvantages with all the other factors um, and make an informed choice for their for their family. Wow, you took the words out of my mouth because so often in this show, that's exactly what it's all about. To me, it's not me so much telling the parent what to do, but rather helping them to weigh the risks and the benefits as well as their personal preferences, as you mentioned. And so I just like people to go into it with their eyes wide open and make those choices for themselves and for their families uh, because... You know, truly, it's it's their baby. It's not mine. Any last-minute thoughts before we go out? No, it's been a pleasure, and I appreciate the opportunity to have chatted with you today. Well, likewise, I will admit that this is not something that I know a whole lot about, but I know a whole lot more about it now than I did earlier today. Uh, very, very interesting, and uh, would really like to thank Dr. Heather, Heather Patasol for coming on the show today. It has been very, very enlightening. Uh, Dr. Patasol, thank you so much for joining us today. You're very welcome. It was my pleasure. Now, for those of you who are wondering, yes, of course, there will be a show next week, and we have a guest lined up, but I'm not even going to tell you who it is because you're going to make sure that you join me. Make sure also that you have a look at my uh, blog for parents. It's uh, mariebiancuso.com, and also you should take a look at my site for professionals if you're a professional and you're looking for continuing education. I'm there either maybe in your city or I'm definitely there online. And that would be breastfeedingoutlook.com. Again, breastfeedingoutlook.com. Thank you so much, everyone, for joining us. Without you, we wouldn't have a show. Uh, Thank you so much. I will see you next week. And in the meanwhile, remember, your baby was born to be breastfed. Have a great week. Thank you for tuning in this week to Born to be Breastfed. Please join Marie Biancuso next Monday at 3 p.m. Pacific Time, 6 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Health and Wellness Channel. This week, do its best for you and your baby.